we have been in the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, we're in the middle of chapter 5, and, and this section of chapter 5 I've called Living Under the Influence. Living under the influence, that may, may sound a little odd to some of you. You wouldn't be driving under the influence, so why would you be living under the influence? Well, we, we should be living under the influence. In fact, you are living under the influence. The question is, what influence? All of us are living under influence or influences, varying influence. What influence? Are you aware of the influences that you're living under? their impact upon you. Maybe to some extent we are, maybe to some extent we are. We are not. Ephesians calls us to live new. Now this living new that Ephesians calls us to, it's not just trying harder, behaving better, but it's by a whole new means. It's a new way of life. It's a new manner of living. It's not just living differently in action or outcome. It's not just managing my sin and behavior better. But it's a whole new dynamic of life. Living new is a new way, a new means of living. We used to have an old way of living. And that was, as it was described in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. I'm going to rehearse just a couple of the verses, places where we've been in Ephesians, getting us to where we are now. We once walked, it says in chapter 2 and verse 2, we once walked according to the course of this world. According to, and it's not merely that we live according to the society and the culture around us. No, actually, there's a spiritual dynamic to that. It says that we once walked according to the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. There is a, a spiritual dynamic to the way that fallen humanity lives. And that's contrasted after we have been born again through faith in Jesus, that we have been saved by grace through faith. We are, in chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. That God is forming and transforming. He's molding us into a new likeness. We are God's grand and greatest work. A work in process. But we are his workmanship created for new works that we are now able to walk in. We are now able to live out. We weren't able to before. We walked according to a different manner. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Now we can walk in these new works that God has given us as his workmanship, God working in us. And so we're called to walk. We're called to walk Walk new. This, this walk is a theme that we started hearing about in chapter 4. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians are all about this is what God has done for us in Jesus. A whole new standing that we have. And now we are to walk in this new life, in this new identity. We're to live it out. We're to walk, I think, is the word used, because we're to step into it is another way that we might describe that. In chapter 4 and verse 1, we're to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. The calling is described, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now, how does living in light of this new reality, what does that look like? That's chapters 4, 5, and 6. That walk worthy of the calling is set in contrast. In chapter 4, verse 17, we're told that we no longer walk as Gentiles in the futility of their minds, 
And to the Ephesians, who were mostly Gentiles, living in the Gentile world, they, they understood what that meant. No longer in the way that we used to live our lives, but now we're to walk new in the likeness of Christ, this new humanity in Christ. In chapter 5, verse 2, we're to walk in love and not lust. In, in, in chapter 5 and verse 8, we're told to walk not in darkness, but as children of light. Now in verse 15 of the same chapter, where we're going to start today, we're, we're told to walk not as those who are unwise, but as those who are wise. So let me read those verses, chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 15 to 21, and um, you can follow along if, you, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you there, the church Bible, you'll find us on page 978. So Ephesians 5 from verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of the time or redeeming the time, buying back the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or excess. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I wanted to, there's, there's a key, there's a core element in this passage. Everything else swirls around it. The core thrust in this passage is one principle of how we're to walk. We're not to be drunk with wine, he says, but we're to be filled by the Spirit. If I could cut to the chase on that, I could say, we're not to be living under the influence of drunkenness, of wine or alcohol. We're to instead be living by the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to unpack that. The, the quickest way I could think to do that is to show you some of the connections first, just visually. So I put that on the back of your bulletin. I've also got it on the screen here behind us. Verse 15 opens, pointing back to the previous Look carefully then, in light of what he's just said, look at verse 14, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's our Lazarus again, right? Or something of him. Stepping out now, loose him and let him go into this new life, and, and that new life will be Christ shining on you. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Think of it, the life of Jesus himself lived out through the body of Christ, the church. The life of Jesus seen in your life, that's what verse 14 is telling us. Look carefully then how you walk, so you walk in that light. Not as unwise, but wise. And those verses, are not much difference between them. Wise is seeing things as they really are, and unwise is... Not seeing it. Just not getting it. Uh, making the best use of the time is in contrast to the evil of the days. So you see there's these contrasts, and I use two different colors to circle those because there's parallels. To be wise is to make the best use of the time by understanding the will of the Lord, which is to be filled with the Spirit. And filled with the Spirit looks like what verses 19 to 21 describe. What is the filling of the Spirit? Somebody told me years ago that verses 19 to 21 were the filling gauge. 
You're driving along and you're wondering, how much farther can I go? How much gas do I still have in the tank? Uh, what's the filling gauge look like? And it tells you, are you, are, are you near full or are you near, near empty? Well, the filling gauge in terms of the Holy Spirit is verses 19, 20, and 21. That's what filling looks like. Oh, to be unwise is to, is to live in the evil of the days, is to be foolish, is to, as if you were drunk with wine. Drunk with wine being the illustration. So you can see the relationships together and the, the days being evil matches to the debauchery of the day, which is what has been described in contrast to how we're supposed to live. Rather than stealing, we're to gather so that we can give. Rather than gossiping, we're to speak that which builds up. Rather than, rather than living in lust, we're to walk in love. So there are these contrasts, and those contrasts fill out what the evil of the days looks like lived out in life. So all of that to say, the core of the passage then, which because of the kind of days we live in, and the tendencies of our days, and so that it will look like what's described in following, the core of the passage is verse 18, where we'll spend most of our time. We're told to walk wise. And to walk in wisdom, to walk as wise, not as unwise, is to redeem the days, to buy them back up. To take this, think of, think of the, the, the days that I have or the hours in the days, the time given me in life which I don't know how much of it I have. This is a stewardship. This is a trust. What shall I do with it? What should I do with it? How should it be used? If you're younger in life, you're probably at the point where you're wondering, what should I do with my life? And that's going to be a question that you answer Day by day, one step at a time. In fact, the, the, the smaller decisions that you make day by day will actually make the big ones for you. What shall I do? How will I use this time? How, would, how does the Bible actually tell me? Other than various descriptors of behavior, is there something bigger than that that we should grab hold of? The passage suggests that there is. Unfortunately, the world around us um, has another answer. It's described in Luke chapter 12. Remember the story of the rich man? He lived a good life. He'd been successful in business or farming, whatever his business was. He'd been successful and he'd accumulated many resources. And now what he's going to do with the resources, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. I'll go out and rent some more storage space. I've already filled my garage, so now I'm going to get a storage cubicle over here. And just in case that one were to burn down, I'll rent space in this one and that one and that one over there. I've diversified my resources now. Now I can enjoy life as I slowly draw out of that. I can eat, drink, and be merry, forgetting the rest of that. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we simply die, and it's over. And if that's all you've got, that's probably the best model you can follow. But if this life is for something, then Jesus would say, you fool. And he's not a fool merely because he builds a bigger barn and fills it with lots of stuff and thinks he has long, a longer time to live when he's not going to get to use much, most, much of any of it. He's a fool, Jesus says, is anyone who lays up treasure on earth but is not rich toward God. How do I live my life? How do I use my life in a way that is, could be described as rich toward God?
Well, John Piper wrote a book. Well, he can't stop writing books. And this particular book, Don't Waste Your Life, it's a great title. And, and, and it's a great book. It will convict you, but you'll probably wiggle at it in some way, you'll say, because he's being too extreme. He's like, well, come on, you got to live. So, uh, and, and John Piper, he's the one that said, okay, we, we, when you're retired, folks, how many retired? Here's a lot of retired folks in here. He says, go to Saudi Arabia, and there, hang out, encourage people for a little while, make some friends, but sooner or later, as, as, as your money starts to run out, start preaching Jesus on the street corner. Some people will hear you. Pretty soon, they'll shoot you down, literally. And, uh, but that will not be a waste of your life. Well, that was an intriguing example, but the problem is John never moved to Saudi Arabia. But in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he, he describes what wasting our lives can look like. He says, let me give you an example of this out of a story in Reader's Digest. A couple took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59, she was 51. And now, having retired early, they live in Punta Gorda, Florida. So far, it sounds very nice. Where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, do a little fishing, do a little boating. They play softball, and they collect shells at the various beaches. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? They're not taking advantage of anybody else. They're not wildly partying it up. They're, they're enjoying life in, in their early retirement. He says, picture them before Jesus one day at that Bema seat where judgment is made and rewards are assigned. And they stand before Jesus and they say, Lord, look at my shells. And there's something missing there. What a tragedy, he says. There's, there's, much, there's much that we do in life that really is, what a waste. And there's much that can be done with life that others will consider a waste, and yet the Lord says it is not. Remember the woman in Mark chapter 14? She brings that very costly jar of ointment or bottle of ointment, that alabaster bottle, and she breaks it open and she pours it out all over Jesus, anointing him. And the disciples themselves say, oh, what a waste. She's extravagantly worshiping Jesus. The disciples are the one to say, what a waste. They would have done something else with, it, else with the money they could have got from that ointment. There will be things that you will do, ways that you will use your life that others would say, what a waste. What is it that makes it a waste or a worth? Well, he says, don't be foolish. To be foolish is to be short-sighted. To be foolish is to not perceive the fullness of reality around you. Maybe to have tunnel vision or nearsightedness only. It's, it's kind of like driving full speed in the fog. You hope the road is straight. You hope there's nothing in the way and you're pressing along until something bad happens. It's to live as if God really isn't. Well, you know, in the future, he's going to be there in eternity and going home to heaven and all that. But, but for now, in life, I'll just carry on. I'll be carried on by the currents and the norms and the influence is around us. But he says, don't be foolish. Instead, understand what God's will is. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That drunkenness, that image, there's a, there's a very vibrant picture he's giving us there of what it is to waste our time, to waste a day. The wasted or lost life is a life that squanders resources for pleasure, 
that's shamelessly undisciplined, has forgotten how to blush, that has a, has a lack of self-control, using resources for one's own pleasure instead of a greater purpose. An example of that might be the prodigal son, right? He cared more about his inheritance than his father. And he wanted it now, and he wanted to enjoy it now. And there was pleasure in sin for a season, and he, flew, he threw wonderful parties, and people gathered all around him. But when the money ran out, the friends ran out as well. One of the places, he was left with the pigs and whatever they had to eat. The point of the prodigal is not, well, he poorly managed his resources. He forgot who he was. And he forgot what life was really supposed to be for. How should he have lived, though? If entrusted with the resources of his father early, should he then have invested them wisely in business and made a good living for himself and maybe employed others along the way and all that was very good and still he lived a good life and still he was thus able to, to, to throw parties and have friends. And yet, for what? What was the purpose of it? A contrasting example that, that fills out a little bit for us the contrast to not drunk with wine under the influence, but instead filled by the Spirit, is an interesting statement that Luke makes early in his gospel when he introduces us to John the Baptist. Now, now Luke is writing his gospel around the same time, maybe just before or at the same time that Paul is writing these letters from prison in Rome to the church of Ephesus, Colossae, Philippians, and so on. And it's, it struck me this time around as I considered that, that there's an interesting parallel. I don't know if this is something that Luke and Paul had talked some about, and Luke points it out here when he introduces us to John the Baptist, that John the Baptist even before he, his birth, he's described by the Spirit of God through the angel to his parents this way. He will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He is going to, could I say it, know and follow Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus. I know I'm putting a little bit of our, of our purpose statement onto the passage. But he is, going to, he is going to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And part of that is he's going to apparently take a Nazarite-type vow even before he's born and is able to vow. His parents are going to take this vow for him that he's not going to drink alcohol. And, well, this is not a message about drinking alcohol. It says not to be drunk with wine. It doesn't say not to drink wine. Okay, so we can get over that. The, 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 the point of John the Baptist, why, is, why should John not drink wine when most people of his generation drank wine? Most everybody added a little wine into the water because the alcohol content would help to kill the bacteria in the water. Otherwise, you'd have the runny tummy. And so it was an important thing. It was a helpful thing in society. And yet John is to give that up in the same way that a Nazarite would give that up for a certain period of time. He would give up something that wasn't in itself evil. It wasn't that John the Baptist was either going to be this prophet or he was going to be a drunkard. 
But he, his life is set aside in a way that he gives something up that he could just as well rightly enjoy and have as part of his life because there is a greater purpose, a higher calling upon him. He's to prepare. He's to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. There's a higher calling on his life. And so he's not to be drinking wine. He's, inst- he's going to give something up. He's rather going to be under the influence of the Spirit. He's going to be filled by the Spirit even from birth. Now what is it to be filled by the Spirit that John is going to grow into and that hopefully we will grow into as well? What does that mean? Now it's contrasted to living under the influence. I would suggest um, at, at the most obvious level, I could say it this way, Are we under the influence of the spirit of this age, which is how we lived prior to our salvation? We had no other choice. Are we under the influence of the spirit of this age, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, or are we under the influence of the true and living God? We are under the the influence. We are living under the influence. Which influence will we be yielding to? That's the point I think the passage is making to us. The, the passage, this idea of being filled by the Spirit, I'm following the net Bible by saying filled by the Spirit rather than with the Spirit. The, the preposition is a very flexible one. Well, with is a flexible trans, um, preposition in English. It means a whole range of things. And the Greek preposition here is just as flexible. The, the with balances the imagery with the... Um, um, with don't be drunk with wine, but it creates a misunderstanding often for us that most scholars, even using the various translations that are before you that have by as the English translation, or rather have with, but there's a problem with that, that we get the idea that I will be able to live the, the, the spiritual life, a spirit-filled life, I will be able to live a life with less of me and more of Jesus if only I had more of the Spirit. Oh God, if only you would send a little more of your Spirit into my life, then I would live more of a life that would honor God. If I had more of the Spirit, I've had less trouble with these other things that we've already been confronted with and you've felt some conviction about. In Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5, if only I had more of the Spirit in me. But you are, if you are a born-again believer by faith in Jesus, if you believe that, that God has forgiven your guilt and restored you into right relationship with Him because Jesus Christ, His Son, died in your place, then you are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. That's, that's His new covenant. You are indwelled by God, that you are the temple of the living God. How can you have more of the Spirit? The Spirit of God dwells in you. He has taken up residence among you. But is it only part of him? Just a little came because it wasn't very comfortable? One lot of room made yet for him? No. The Spirit, and we are never commanded to be indwelled by the Spirit. You know that? We are told that we are. We are commanded to believe in Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus as Savior, we are indwelt by the Spirit. We're not commanded to be baptized by the Spirit. We're told that the Spirit has baptized all who are believers in Jesus into the body of Christ. You have been placed into Christ. That's the baptism of the Spirit. We are told to be filled by the Spirit. What does it mean? Well, to understand this filling, 
I'm going to suggest it this way first, and then I'll, I'll unpack it for you in the verses. How about that? So you're not wondering. The, it's not that the Spirit, I need more of the Spirit. It's that the Spirit needs more of me. To be filled by the Spirit, to be living under the influence of the Spirit, is to be yielding to, to submitting to the Spirit's working in my life to a particular end. In fact, it's by the Spirit that I am filled the question is filled with what? Now I want to take us back into Ephesians again. Let's go all the way back to chapter 1. We're going to take this, that same filling. What is it that Christians are now to be filled with by the Spirit? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. We'll put up on the screen just to move through these quickly. The church, which is his body, the body of Christ... The body of Christ, the church, is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Another way to translate that all in all was he talking about each and every one. That the, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the fullness of Christ who fills each and every one of us. So we're supposed to see the fullness of Jesus in his church, in the body of Christ, in believers. Chapter 3, verse 19. We're to know by the enlightenment, the illumining of the Holy Spirit, we're to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is Paul's prayer for Christians. To know the love of Christ for us so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The character of God. The likeness of God. That what God is like, the very image of God, might be seen in our lives. But that shouldn't be a surprise to us. It's actually not new. It's very old. We were created in the image of God so that we would represent God before all the rest of his creation. And that was twisted and distorted and turned inward in the fall. And that fullness of God is being renewed in us in a likeness of Christ who in himself, in Jesus, is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that fullness, that likeness of Jesus, is to be worked in, lived out in our lives. One more verse, Ephesians chapter 4. A little, bit, a little bit of verse 10 and then into verse 13. Verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended. Jesus descends in his incarnation. He ascends and he sends, to the, he sends the Holy Spirit into the church for this purpose, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for this purpose, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature humanity. What is it for, for, for God to grow the church into maturity? What does maturity look like? It looks like the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are not growing up in the sense of growing taller. We are growing in Christ-likeness. That's what spiritual maturity in his church looks like. That's what it looks like for us together that Jesus would be seen through us. That's what it looks like, that's what spiritual maturity looks like for us individually. That we would be transformed more and more from image to image, from likeness to likeness, into the likeness of Christ by the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
So then, that's what God is doing. That's what God is working. To be filled by the Spirit is that transforming us into the likeness of Jesus by the Spirit. The fullness is the fullness of Christ, is the likeness of Christ being worked in us by the Spirit. Think of being filled by the Spirit as walking by the Spirit. Or keeping in step by the Spirit, as, 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 as Paul says in Galatians 5. Think of it in Romans 8, to live by the Spirit. Or 2 Corinthians 3, to be transformed by the Spirit. Or maybe Philippians 2, to work out our salvation, to work outward into our lives the salvation that we have been given. Why? Because it is God who works in us, both to will and to do. Changing our desires, and out of that, changing our actions. God's working in us. That's what, those are other ways that Paul describes the same thing. And there's one more parallel passage I don't want us to overlook. In Colossians chapter, chapter 3, in verse 16. Now, the last two chapters of Colossians are very much a parallel of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And so in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, he's going to use another phrase, but he seems to equate it to filling with the Spirit because it has the same results as what we read about in, in Ephesians chapter 5. And then, of course, immediately after this passage in, in Colossians chapter 3, we run into the reality, the ramifications of this in marriage and then in children and parenting, and then in the workplace or with slaves and masters, the same order that's going to come up in Ephesians. You see, this living of the Christian life, this living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it's a very practical thing, as you've already seen. It's laying aside the old and putting on the new. It's no longer stealing and taking. Rather, it's, it's gathering in order to give. It's no longer gossiping, but it's words that build up. It's no longer pursuing my lust and immorality or pornography, but it is rather those things that are, that are walking in love and walking in the light as children of light. So you've already been confronted with these things, and it's going to get even more personal. We're going we're gonna to poke into your marriages a little bit. Those of you that aren't married, we're going to talk, talk about children-parent relationships we're going we're gonna to take faith to work with us. It's got to get very practical. But if we try to do that on our own best efforts, we will fall flat. Now, we might live seemingly pretty well-behaved lives, by and large, out on the surface, what other people see. But we are to live differently not merely differently in outward appearance. We're to live in a whole different means that is living, what Paul says, to live by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 16, adds another wrinkle to that. Let me turn over there and read Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is this thanksgiving. There is singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The same things that being filled by the Spirit looks like, except here it's equated with let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. This comes from yielding to God's Word within us, which is in us by the working of the Holy Spirit, who has, in fact, the Spirit of God, by the inspiration of the Spirit, has given us the written Word of God. 
The word of God is the expression of God, as is Jesus, who is himself the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God points us to a likeness of God as seen in Jesus himself to be worked out in our lives, to be yielded to in response to the Spirit's willing and working within us. This means that to live filled by the Spirit, filled in the fullness of Jesus by the Spirit, will come from yielding to the Spirit's lead. Well, how do I yield to the Spirit? How do I, how do I follow the Spirit? How do I know that, that I'm following the Spirit of God instead of the Spirit of this age or, this, or the meandering of my own mind? Well, the will of the Spirit is already given to us in the Word. So we know the Spirit's will. We know the mind of God as it's been given to us in God's Word already. But what if I don't know the Word that well? Well, I would say it's time to get started. Peter puts it that simply. He says, desire, long for, hunger for the sincere, the pure milk of God's word so that by it you will grow spiritually. I can't live under the influence of the Spirit if I'm not hearing from him. And the Spirit will speak to me through his word. Now, I'm not saying you always have to have chapter in verse to hear the leading of the Spirit, but the leading of the Spirit will always be in harmony with the Word of God. That's how you can know. The filling of the Spirit, what I'm trying to say is this. The filling of the Spirit is the empowering presence of God the Spirit that is embraced and submitted to by the Christian which matures us in a fullness of Christ-likeness. To be filled by the Spirit is to submit to the working of God's Spirit, to yield to the working of God's Spirit, in agreement with God's will as revealed in God's Word. By it, growing in an increasing fullness of Christ-likeness. The filling is the fullness of God in Christ, a likeness of Christ in me. The filling is by the Spirit's working in me. It's not up to me myself. But God will do this. But my part, as Paul says so well in, 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 in Romans chapter 6, to live by the Spirit in Romans chapter 8 is, in chapter 6, knowing what God has done, knowing what God's will is, believing it, and then yielding myself or presenting myself to it. Submitting to the leading of the Spirit is how the fullness of Christ will be worked in me. What does it look like? Speaking in song. What music do you put in your, in your head, in your ears, that echoes around inside your heart? It looks like singing and psalming. That, that singing and making melody in your hearts, the word literally, it's awkward to translate into English because it just sounds a little old and odd, but it's psalming. The psalms are unique. The psalms are emotional. The psalms are very practical. They are authentic. They are prayer by and large. There's, there's, there's something in the psalms that, that is not always they're not always meant to be just cognitively diagrammed through and understood. And I'm a, I'm a cognitive, rational, logical guy, and I, I like action-oriented, and let's get to the task. And So I don't spend as much time in the Psalms as I ought to. 
But the Psalms are the place that you go for authentic worship where faith wrestles with the realities of life in this evil age that we see, like the events of this last week, where our hearts cry out, God, where are you? God, if you had showed up, this would not have happened. But folks, this has been happening since the Garden of Eden onward. This has been happening ever since the, the, the serpent fed the lie and humanity took the bait. And this kind of stuff has been happening ever since. It's a foreseeable tragedy. And yet, in the midst of this, like Lazarus, God says to us, loose them and let them go. Let them live to lay aside the grave clothes that no longer fit and to live now in a new spirit-filled life. Submitting to one another out of submitting to God, out of fear or reverence for Christ. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're in a, in a, in a, in a big giving campaign to support the needs of, of Christians back in Jerusalem. All the Gentile churches are contributing. Even the poor churches in Macedonia, Paul writes. And he says that they gave themselves first to God and then to us by the will of God. We can't expect much from those poor churches. They are struggling as it is. But they gave themselves to God, their will to his will. And then they gave joyfully what they had and even beyond what they had. That's a good example for us. Giving ourselves first to God. There's a building project, and a building project is simply another opportunity to give outside of ourselves to something that's bigger, to something that will serve others ultimately rather than ourselves. But don't give to that unless you've first given yourself to God. And it's His will then for you to give to that. That's how this works. And that's the way for every little decision. This seems like an overwhelming thing that I'm going to, I'm going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to live all my life under the influence of the Spirit. That seems overwhelming, doesn't it? That's why I, I like better when Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Because walk is a, is a word, it's, he's using it in parallel to, to live by or to be filled with the fullness of Christ by the Spirit. He's using it in the same way, but to me, walk is a little easier to grip my head around. Because walk is one step after another. And I don't know that all that God is calling me to do, I can't manage it all in my head, but I know this next thing. Don't you? In the last couple of weeks, there's been a next thing that God showed you out of his word. Maybe some, something in the last few days as you were giving yourself to reading in God's word and, and God spoke to you here and he said, it's, it's this thing. This thing is my next thing for you. And that's the thing to step into. That little thing that you don't even know why or you're not sure what difference that makes, but you'll do that. Because that's what God has showed you out of his word. And that's what it'll be to walk by the Spirit in that next step. There feel the Lord's presence. There feel his enabling power. There feel his pleasure over you as his child walking with him, showing something of him to the world around us. 
We live in a world that desperately needs to see more of the fullness of Christ. They need to know his grace. They need to know his forgiveness. They need to know his mercy. They need to know that he can take these broken people and give them new life. That he can make beauty out of the ashes. The world around us needs to see that. Now for you, the next step might be that you need to put yourself more regularly under the hearing from the Spirit by His Word. You're not, you're not just going to read your Bible to tick that off the list of the things that you're supposed to do. But you're going to meet with God in the morning and say, God, I want to hear from you here. Lord, help me to understand your Word and help me to hear your call for me from your Word. Read in order to respond. Maybe gather together with some others to do that, to encourage one another in that. We call that a D group around here. But that's what it is, to walk under the influence of the Spirit that the life of Jesus himself might be seen in us. Let's pray. Father, I would ask just most simply that for those who know you as Savior and want to live in your life, that you would make clear by your Spirit what is that next step? Father, there might be many things. There might be, it might feel overwhelming. But Lord, would you make clear what is that next step in which we could follow you? And Lord, give us the courage. Give us the strength by your Spirit. Father, we pray that more of the fullness of Christ might be seen in us by your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.